podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. I'm Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. On Perpetual Chess, I have weekly conversations with the chess world's best players, promoters, and educators about their lives, careers, current projects, and best practices. Perpetual Chess is brought to you through the generosity of its Patreon and PayPal supporters. For more information, go to perpetualchesspod.com. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Perpetual Chess. We have another great guest this week. She is very popular in the chess world. She is, especially in her native India, of course, she is an international master rated in the 2400s, has won many scholastic titles uh, back back as a um, top scholastic player. She is a Red Bull athlete, uh, announcer, and a presenter. Uh, Tanya Sachdiev. Tanya, thank you for joining us. Hi, Ben. It's my pleasure to be here. Tanya, how'd I do with your name? Uh, we were practicing before we recorded, so I hope I didn't do too badly. You're a solid seven. Okay, I'll take it. <laughs> um, so, Tanya, thanks again for, for coming on. Uh, we um, were able to set this up via Twitter, thanks to some um, some fans requesting you and you actually responding. So I really appreciate that. And I imagine that you're fairly busy. We've got Gibraltar coming up where you've uh, done some interviewing and some presenting and you will be again. So so what what else is going on with you? Or is that sort of the, the top of your mind when it comes to uh, your work right now? Um, yeah, I think it's really interesting how we got connected. And I think that's, that's something so great about um, about, you know, social media platforms. And um, we had someone just write to us that we should do this. And here we are doing it. Uh, so I'm excited about this interview. But what else I'm starting the year with? Well, it is, as usual, Gibraltar. And I'll be back there as um, as part of the broadcast team, uh, bringing content and um, reporting to people who can't make it to Gibraltar. It's a tournament that I've played several times. And now I'll be working with them. This will be my... This will be my fifth year with them working. Um, so, yeah, so it's pretty much like home. And then right after that, I'm going to be playing in the National Team Championship where I'll be representing Air India, um, followed by the Reykjavik Open. So I'm still playing actively quite a bit. Um, and then I've got these other things that I love doing as well, which I kind of um, work around my playing schedule. Nice. Yeah, I'm sure it's a, it's a nice balance. And you mentioned two of my favorite tournaments, Reykjavik Open, which I have been to, and Gibraltar, which I haven't. But just as a chess fan, uh, I mean, I, I've mentioned before uh, on Perpetual Chess, I'm a big fan of the big open tournaments, and it doesn't get any bigger and stronger than Gibraltar. We've got MVL playing this year, Wesley So, Nakamura, Aronian. Uh, and of course, um, it's well known for its support of women's chess. It always has some of the strongest woman players in the world, and I'm sure it will again this year. Um, so who else do you know who else will be presenting with you? Um, so the commentary is going to be done by Yavanka and Simon. Um, and uh, it'll just be me doing the online reporting. And we've got we've got a TV crew from Spain who does all the well all the video part of it. And uh, of course, the entire entire of Gibraltar chess. I mean, everybody who's involved with the festival is just amazing to work with. I think as uh, as somebody who's still you know for me playing is still my priority. Uh, for me, when I work in tournaments as part of 
their commentary team or the broadcast team it's really important to work with people uh, who i who i really enjoy working with and gibraltar is uh, is like that for me and like you said it's one of the strongest uh, tournament it is it is the strongest open tournament if you look at a true open there are no rating cutoffs uh, we've always got very exciting players uh, the top elite players playing um among, along with the top women players along with super talented young players from across the world uh it is very exciting to see and we've got we we're going to have out of the top players we've got MVL Hikaru we've got Levon who were all there in the grand chest or final in London this time uh in fact um uh Levon will be returning as as the defending champion and um Hikaru is always so exciting to watch and his style of play in open tournaments just makes him such a beast uh, you know he's aggressive he's quick he puts on so much pressure and i think what's what's amazing about these open events is that it's you don't have like the same players playing each other over and over again who totally know each other's uh, style of play um you know it's a completely different psychology they're up against players they haven't heard of but players who are extremely hungry for success who are very hard working who are very young sometimes they're and they're very very talented so every point is hard fought and uh, often in open tournaments you do take extra risks cuz because uh, draws doesn't really well guarantee you a playoff or a tie break so you've got to go for you've got to go for blood very often and that's very exciting to watch uh, besides the top players you know the first few rounds at at all open tournaments is uh, is really exciting and always gives us great stories um we've got shocking results we've got upsets going on there are so many young talented players it's going to be interesting to watch out for them the other thing that Gibraltar is known for and which is a very very integral part of the festival is um is women in chess the women who play in Gibraltar it's got the strongest representation uh in any open tournament we've got besides the absolute top players you've got for example we've got Benjen and Lano who've been um you know on top form they were the finalists of the world championships they were uh, they've had a fantastic run in St Petersburg we've got Humpy coming back we've got the Muzichuk sisters that's going to be Sara Kadem Valentina Gunina that's going to be so if it's if we've got the entire almost the entire medal winning team of Georgia wow um lot of strong women players playing so that's going to be an interesting storyline in Gibraltar to watch out for there's there's a huge prize fund for them um as Gibraltar likes to call it it's it's positive discrimination for women there and uh they they really support and encourage women chess then we've also got a lot of lot of young rising stars from across the world playing who are, who are very um you know they're really hungry for success and always very exciting to watch so of course I'll also be keeping an eye out for all the indians um uh there are quite a few of them but at the top of my head i think adibana and nihal are going to be very interesting to watch wow you are an amazing um promoter of gibraltar that was that was uh that was um so many points <laughs> <laughs> so many points that i want to follow up on um so okay so the interview's done oh yeah we're done yeah everyone tune in watch gibraltar we'll catch you next week <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. So one thing I just wanted to to highlight, just for any listeners who are wondering, uh, Tanya was referring to I am uh, Yovanka Hauska and GM Simon Williams, who I think will be familiar to most listeners. But just in case you didn't catch it, and they're always entertaining when they're announcing, so that should be fun. And of course, you mentioned Hakaru's play, and he he wins this event nearly every year. And one other point I wanted to highlight is one of the reasons I like these tournaments is not just the fighting chess, but the openings are different because when these these twenty seven twenty eight hundred guys play. Um, 
play 24, 2500s. They can't really trot out like the Berlin and the Petrov and the Queen's Gambit declined um, unless they're okay with a draw. So you see a lot more dynamic opening from the top player and you see how they navigate um, the field uh, when it's um, when draws are not always the ideal result for them. And the the women in chess um, in Gibraltar, of course, I think it's amazing that uh, that they they do all this to support. And I recently had uh, GM Alexander Kostyonik on, and we were discussing uh, the Cairns Cup coming up in, in St. Louis in February, which is another awesome endeavor for women. But of course, I have to ask you about this uh, long-simmering, quote-unquote, controversy in Gibraltar uh, with the pairing issue for women. So for any listeners who don't know, there's just been this sort of Weird coincidence, and I, I, of course, do think it's a coincidence, where a lot of women were have played against each other in the past few years, uh, including uh, Ho Yifan, um, former women's world champion, and... Uh, to the point where it seemed a little bit strange, but when, when pairing experts tried to replicate it, um, the, the pairings were, were, um, shown to be legitimate. But I mean, what's your perspective of, uh, the, all the sort of hubaloo? I don't even know how to say that word. <laughs> all of the hubaloo or whatever it is, um, uh, about that issue over the past few years. Yeah, we're going to get back to this, Ben, but I just want to go to the point that you made about the openings that we see at open events like these. And I think that's such an important, um, that's such a valid point and such an important one, because uh, like you mentioned, you know, you can't, you can't play 25 moves of theory that everybody knows and expect to get a playable or or a middle game with chances with the game. But what, what we see in these events is top players really taking their chance and really uh, going for aggressive lines, which, well, for practical or objective reasons, might not be the best continuation, but it's what gives them game to fight and to play. And this is what really, really makes it exciting because anything can really happen. We get dynamic, enterprising middle game positions, which we don't get to see at the closed events at the very elite level. And this is one of the reasons why open events have become even exciting for for the top players to be a part of because it's sort of different from their your calendar. Uh, just the kind of chess they play there is is um, is entertaining and it's it's uh, aggressive. It's it's very different from what we see normally. Coming back to what you mentioned about the pairing issue that happened two years ago at Gibraltar with who you found. I mean, it's honestly, it was such a non-issue. Um, um, I don't know where to start with, but the entire pairing system, well, to... Um, was in fact replicated many times afterwards to to sort of prove and to check and to prove if there was any, you know, anything manually done or anything different from how it should have been. In fact, FIDE themselves had had conducted a very laborious study and uh, checked the pairing round by round to ensure that there was absolute fair play. And every round that was paired by FIDE using all their systems and it was almost like an autopsy. And everything that they did showed that the pairing would have been exactly the way it was gone. And in fact, we had a very similar case. And I mean, it's just one big coincidence that it happened to Hu Yufan again in the Isle of Man as well. Uh, Now in Gibraltar, what happens is there are about 250 players playing and often there are about between 50 to 60 women players. Now, that's a very, very high number of women players players for any open event. 
Um, and I think the year this happened, Yufan's rating was such that most players that she was paired against would fall in the bracket of about 2,400 till about 2,500. And that's the, that's the chunk of the women players that participate in Gibraltar, which is why it just so happened that every game she played, every round she was paired, it was, it was just one big coincidence. But uh, it's just how it turned out. But it was checked several times uh, by different arbiters. And like I said, by FIDE themselves, it was absolutely fair pairing. So it was a it was a big non-issue. And I think it was it probably could have been handled in a different way. I'm a big, big fan of who you're fan. I think she's um, she's one of the greatest female players in chess of all times. And uh, but personally, if you ask me, um, showing up for the game and throwing a point like that, the way it happened in protest for something uh, that later on she herself got to know was there was absolutely um, no, you know, nothing done to sort of manipulate the pairings in any way. I think that was very wrong. And as a chess player, it it just um, I feel that. I'm sure she has her, her reasons and her explanations and she's she's a fantastic person and she's extremely, extremely well respected. And with all due respect, I think that was something that should not have happened. You do not you do not throw a point like that because it was not just the question of protest. It was also how it affected the final standings for many, many other players. And it's just against game ethics, I think. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with everything you said. And, I, you know, and the only reason I even brought it up, I, of course, as I said, I, I saw the math, but I still see people talking about it on social media, or at least, you know, last year I did uh, during last year's event. So I just wanted to, to give you a chance to address it. But I mean, the idea that that the organizers of this tournament would would put all this um, this weight behind supporting women in chess and invite them and give them good conditions and good prizes in order to uh, field such a strong field and that they would then sort of put their finger on the scale. To me, it's just laughable. But listeners, please tune in to Gibraltar and Tanya. I'd like to talk about your own chess playing, but first we're going to take a quick break. I'm excited to announce that this week's episode of Perpetual Chess is brought to you in part by Chessable. If you're a regular listener to Perpetual Chess, you've probably heard me and our esteemed guests extol the virtues of Chessable even when they were not our sponsors. Chessable uses learning science to help you improve your chess as efficiently as possible. It's a great way to remember more ideas faster, even for a middle-aged dad like me. What's more, they're an open platform where anyone can publish their courses. I'm talking to you, chess teachers and coaches. And they paid out hundreds of thousands of dollars in commissions to their partner authors. They have big plans for 2019. So if you're a student, author, or coach, be sure to check out chessable.com. Okay, so... Listeners, Gibraltar starts January 21st, so be sure to check it, be sure to check it out and watch the broadcast um, as it is shown. But Tanya, you mentioned that your biggest priority is still playing chess and you've got a few events coming up. So when you're at home in between events, how do you balance something like going to Gibraltar and, you know, I'm sure you'll be interviewing some top players versus all of the preparation that's necessary to, to play in, in like the India team event and the Reykjavik Open and strong uh, events like that? Uh, to be honest, there is it, it's not really a balance. It's a, or at least if it is, it's really tipped on the side of playing. Most of my time um, is spent 
playing and training. There are certain events I do really enjoy doing commentary as well as, um, uh, you know, being on the other side of this mic, which is to interview people and to sort of get their stories, um, stories out there. And I find that really interesting as well. Um, uh, I think it's it's very different the kind of preparation that is in, that's required for both these things. I mean, if I'm when I'm preparing for an event for a tournament, I also try not to uh, not to sort of do a commentary gig or a broadcast gig and then go right into a tournament the very next day. I've tried that before and that never works well. I think I think you have to have the right mindset for both. So I try and give it a bit of a gap so that I'm able to train and sort of get back into the playing mode as well. And uh, uh, when you have to play, I mean, the preparation is, is very different. It really depends from event to event, but mostly for a, for an open tournament or, or a team event. Of course, uh, what's important is to improve your general level of play to get your, your mind working in a good shape. So you're sort of trying to solve, you know, solve positions. You're trying to... Um, um, you're trying to analyze your previous tournament and see where you've gone wrong. If there are any big holes in your opening, you're trying to fix those. Uh, sort of just going through your own openings and revising them because we don't have that much time before a game. So you you kind of want to really streamline the amount of work you end up doing during the tournament. And um, yeah, working on tactics, trying to play a few blitz, just the idea is to get into shape. Of course, there are certain other tournaments that require a different approach, like a team event. You know, you sort of work and train differently for those. When it comes to broadcast and commentary, uh, the preparation for that is totally different as well. I mean, there you're just trying to get more, uh, you know, a more wholesome knowledge about what's going on, who are the players uh, you want to, you want to, you know, what are their stories that you want to bring out and how you want how you want to do that. I think it's sort of it's sort of more challenging when you're trying to cover and bring out stories from an open tournament uh, because you never know who you will be talking to after a game. And, and it's really hard to sort of focus on all games. And and the challenge is is to ask game appropriate questions, especially in the post game interviews in an open event, because you can't be following all of them, but that's, but it's interesting and exciting as well. And um, I think one of the things I really enjoy about working in these events are the long interviews that we do. And uh, we've done a couple of them in Gibraltar, which have been, which have been uh, my all time favorite is the one that I did with Boris Galfin. I mean, that that's just, I think that's probably, if I may say so myself, I think that I did really well in that. I mean, he's obviously brilliant and everything, but um, I, I really enjoyed asking maybe it was just a conversation we had and I think it was just it went really well and I I, I I think that's what I really enjoy are these long interviews as somebody who's doing on-site reporting and someone who's trying to trying to create content it's also it's also the idea is to create something that people can enjoy from everywhere and from all over the world and different levels of chess players can enjoy and understand that content and be more excited to follow the sport uh, so I like doing that it's uh, different from playing completely and I think it's a good idea if you can sort of if you do a commentary gig or a broadcast gig to give yourself some time to come back to the idea of playing again a serious tournament. Yeah, that makes sense. And you mentioned that you feel like the most important thing for events like you have coming up is just general form rather than anything specific. But but what? how do you feel generally about your form? How have your recent results been? Is there anything in particular that you're working on with your chess game? Uh, 2018 was overall, I would say... Um, I don't think it was a brilliant year uh, in terms of 
performance, but I did have some really good games and some results that I was proud of, but there were a lot of tournaments and a lot of games that I definitely think I could have done a lot better and I learned a lot from. Uh, I had I won the Commonwealth. I made it to the national team. I had a really nice run at the Olympiad as well. But again, talking about the Olympiad, um, I also finished fourth on my board and I missed the medal. The Indian team finished eighth. So it was, I have to say, finishing eighth as uh, for, for the Indian women team. It's not a disastrous result. But definitely, it was disappointing. We were we were hoping for a medal. All of us had worked extremely hard. I think with my own personal play, learned a lot. And I think if you ask me what was what was the one thing that I take back from 2018 to work on in 2019, it would be a lot to do with my opening preparation. And of course, as usual, to go back to Mark Dwarotsky's endgame manual hmm. for like the 500th time oh boy. and study those rook endings. <laughs> okay, yeah, the, the Bible for stronger players such as yourself. Uh, and it's, it's funny, it's the Bible uh, it, for, 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 uh, for any professional player for endgames, but it, what I find really interesting is that you, you have to just see it over and over again. It's not a book that you finish reading and you just take everything from it. It's uh, you keep going back to it time and time again. Yeah. And for for listeners who may be wondering, I mean, you, you may have heard other guests recommend this book, but I would say if you're uh, around the 2200 level is maybe where it starts to be of some use. But below that, I would do you agree that there are better endgame books for lower rated players. Tanya. Sorry, could you repeat that? Ben? Do you do you agree that there are there there would be better choices if you're below t- say the twenty two hundred level? Do you right. think that there are better end game books than the Dvoretsky book? I think it might be a bit over uh, some players. Yeah, I'm sure there are there are plenty of uh, really good end game books. This is just the one that um, that I've been reading now for several years, and like I mentioned, I keep going back to. But uh, um, I mean, if you're asking me to recommend one, and I honestly have no idea what to say to that but i'm sure there there are a lot of other books as well yeah i'm sure we have many recommendations on 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 the web page of of books that have been recommended by previous guests um and you mentioned uh when we were corresponding on twitter you mentioned that you just finished a a chess book that you enjoyed what what else have you been uh reading and studying uh, so I think I used to read uh, chess books a lot more when I was uh, when I was playing uh, in the junior categories, which was many many years ago. I think that's when computers were not used as extensively for training. And uh, but if you, I mean, recently I finished uh, I finished reading Positional Play uh, from Jakob Agard's uh, Grandmaster Preparation series, as well as his book calculations and I enjoyed both of them tremendously especially the one positional play and in fact this was recommended to me by Yaakov himself the other book that I finished reading was um, Thinking Inside the Box again by Yaakov and I think it's such a great uh, I really enjoyed reading it because that's like it's almost like even it can be read like a like a like a bedtime storybook you do need the board and pieces from time to time because there are positions and analysis but just the things that are spoken about there's a lot of psychological um, um, stuff going on in the book which which is not just it's not just cliches and talks it's just actual practical advice and I think it was uh, it was really interesting to read that book as well so yeah so the two books that I really enjoyed reading recently was uh, a positional play and uh, thinking inside the box and my next book is positional decision making by Boris Galfin sounds like you'll be pretty busy (laughs) 
And uh, you mentioned Jakob Bogard, and, and if, if memory serves, you did like a training camp, maybe even more than one with him. Um, is that correct? Yeah, so he was in fact even the coach of our national Indian women team for the Olympiads. So um, as part of the team, we worked with him. We had three training camps with him before the Bartomi Olympiad. Uh, I've also been uh, been to him in Scotland twice. So um, yeah, so I've, I've worked with him a couple more than a couple of times. And for listeners who either are not strong enough or don't have the means, like who who would never experience a training camp like that with other stronger players and um, uh, an elite chess player. Could you, could you describe the experience like in, in as much detail as possible? How much chess are you doing a day? What's the nature of the exercises, stuff like that? Okay. So uh, the first time that I did a camp with Jakob was, um, was oh, about two years ago, maybe a little less than that. And I, I'd never met him before. I'd only ever heard of him because of all the great books that, you know, he's written and it's quality chess and it's, um, uh, that's his publication house. And right. um, uh, so I knew him as an author. And then I remember I was playing, uh, uh, I was playing a tournament in Delhi when my local trainer, uh, Vishal Serene, he told me that there's this camp that's going to be held in Glasgow. And he knew Jakob, he'd been in touch with him. And he's like, there are about seven to eight players there. And uh, do you want to go do it? And uh, it's a seven day camp. And he was like, and I had, I was, I was kind of excited because everyone that he named who was attending the camp was already a grandmaster. So I was like, yeah, I want to do it. This sounds really exciting. Um, and I obviously had no idea what I was getting myself into. <laughs> so I go to Glasgow and, um, uh, you know, it was my first time there, uh, working with all these really strong players. I was also the only girl in that camp, but that was the least of the problems. <laughs> it was just the first couple of days, like the chess, literally, I mean, after being, you know, an international master, I, I, I've got two grandmaster norms and, uh, well, at least, you know, a reasonable 2,400 around player. Like it was just, the chess was just completely going over my head. Like I couldn't solve a single position. We were working for about six to seven hours every day. Uh, we would work for three hours in the morning. Then he would, we would have this, there's this, there's this thing that, that we do there, which is, you know, you have like salad and like shakes for lunch or whatever, like very minimal, not like Indian food lunch and all of it. Anyway, so we would have that and then we would go to the gym, work out for a bit, come back, train again for another three hours, three to four hours and basically like die. So sure. it was um, uh, and the positions and all the training that was happening was so, so difficult. And everybody else was it was about at least 100 points higher rated than me. And and. Uh, I remember my first training camp, Sam was there as well, Sam Shanklin. And, you know, when we would be analyzing and they would, we would be solving stuff. So uh, obviously on different boards and stuff. And then when we would be discussing, like his, uh, his analysis would be so fast and so difficult to follow that I remember going back to bed one night, like almost in tears, like wondering, like, why the hell am I here? Like, what <laughs> am I even good enough to play chess? It was just so, so hard. And um, I remember going to Jakob uh, and talking to him and telling him that, you know, I, this is just really, really difficult to me, difficult for me. And um, uh, I, I really don't, you know, I can't really follow a lot of stuff and I can't really like understand. And I think this camp is for a higher, higher level than mine. And, and it was funny. He, he just like, you know, he just looked at me and I don't know. 
I don't know, Ben, you might want to edit this out later. But no, no, this is this is gold. This is people experience this all the time. I mean, it's, but it's what great I'm to... about to say, you might want to oh, edit out. We'll see. He, he basically just like he was like, the only advice I have for you, Tanya, is grow a pair. Is that still uh, politically correct in, in 2019? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this interview just got R-rated. Uh-huh. So, anyway, so it was, you know, at that moment, it wasn't funny at all. But I like later on, I understood and I really respected the fact that he didn't make things easier for me. You know, he obviously it wasn't he wasn't. And for, you know, you can't really say anything today online, which doesn't offend someone or the other. So this, I just want to clarify, this was not a sexist statement at all. What he was, what he was trying to say and what he wanted to tell me was that if I want to be a better player, I have to be a stronger person. And I, I can't, you know, be, unless you challenge yourself and unless you sort of push yourself out of your comfort zone and do things that are difficult, you're not going to improve. And, and you know, that's the lesson that I took back. And I remember the last two days of the camp was so much better. I was feeling so much, so much better. And I was solving a lot more. And I came back feeling so motivated and inspired to just sort of, you know, be stronger and to not, to not sort of try to, because it's so easy for us to feel that to feel weak at times and it just seems like an easier option but uh, and I had some really good results right after that camp as well the next year he was also part of the Indian he was uh, he was the coach the national coach for the Indian women team and um, it was it was just incredible to work with him and and I realized why he is known and respected as pro- one of the or maybe just the best trainer in the world okay wow that's that's an amazing story by the way tanya there's no way i'm cutting that out unless you unless you beg me to (laughs) but uh, that's that's exactly the kind of thing that listeners listeners like to hear because we can all relate to it no matter your level um it's very actionable advice in terms of basically uh, if you're not suffering (laughs) you're not getting better you're not improving um so i just to tie a bow on the sort of chess improvement theme. Um, so challenge yourself, you would say. Uh, you've given some great book recommendations. You mentioned that a lot of your work is with computers on uh, openings. But uh, I don't know if you do any coaching of um, lower rated players, but do you have any other general advice that you would give to people who are, who are still uh, working hard to, to get better? I think the other big thing that I learned with working with Jakob, especially in our national training camps and uh, and the uh, the two sessions that I had with him in Scotland, the group training sessions, um, was that that you know this is this this was a big take back for me that actually as chess players when we're playing a, when we're playing a tournament and when we're playing a game our only our only only responsibility is to think about what is our next move that's the only decision that we need to occupy ourselves with and to think about not about what's going on around not about what the result will be not what happens if you win and not what happens if you lose uh, the decision making of what you're going to play next is the only question that you need to ask yourself and to answer at every point in the game and uh, this is something that he's spoken about in his books as well are the three questions that you can ask yourself that really help you in the process of decision making and uh, uh, this is you know what is the worst place piece 
what is your opponent's threat and um, what is what is your opponent's weakness and these are the three questions that you ask yourself at any given point during the game the other very important lesson that i learned uh, uh learned from yakub is that that chess is really not an emotional game at all uh, what i'm trying to say with that is that chess chess doesn't care about you chess doesn't care about how you are and how you're feeling and the fact is that you are not going to win a game just because just because you think you're a nice person or you deserve to win something it's not going to happen like that you actually have to make good moves on the board yeah so, yeah surprise surprise harkens back to that fisher quote about he doesn't believe in chess psychology he believes in good moves <laughs> yes um, and the, the three questions, one, one more follow-up on that. So once you realized just how important it, it is to ask yourself those three questions, did you, cause, did you find it a challenge to sort of actually remember to think about it during the game? Because I think that's something that a lot of people might struggle with is like, okay, I know I'm supposed to be thinking about this, but then once the sort of proverbial lights are on and the, the battle is raging, you just sort of fall into your old thought patterns and it can be hard to make changes in terms of uh, – um, like uh, rewiring your brain. No, you're absolutely right, Ben, you know, and, um, uh, you know, what comes to my mind are the books that I read when I was younger and uh, uh, so many things that are, that are written in books or taught to us become really difficult to follow through when you're actually playing the game. Of course, it's, it's very different when you're actually playing in the tournament with everything going on. Uh, it's not the same as a training situation at all. But I think if you can just consciously have this in your mind that you need to do this, even if you do it at maybe in the beginning, you'll do it only a couple of times and maybe you might not do it. But I think if you can... The more you do it, the more results you see coming. It just becomes second nature. It's all about just practicing to do it over and over again so that it happens more often in your game. And the thing is that I realized that it actually, actually works. Just asking these three questions helped me in many, many different positions in many different tournaments. And I think it's true for every level. Okay, excellent advice. All right, so Tanya, we've only got a bit more time, and I, I want to cover a couple more topics. One of which is, as we mentioned in the introduction, you are you are sponsored by Red Bull, um, at least in here in the United States. Uh, obviously, Hikaru Nakamura also has had a relationship with Red Bull, but it's fairly rare for uh, a top chess player to have um, a corporate sponsorship. So, do you mind telling us um, uh, how uh, how this relationship came about? Right, so it was it was back in 2012. Um, I just I got a call from Red Bull India, and they wanted to have a meeting with me, and uh, I was as surprised as as you know as everything that you just said, and you just associate Red Bull with with uh, insane stuff like space jumps and and extreme physical endurance things and, and uh, vodka. Um, <laughs> so you know being a chess player was I was a bit surprised to get that call and then I met them and uh, um, the meeting was a lot of fun and we spoke about many ideas and uh, they wanted to get into the whole whole mind space um uh, sports scenario. In fact, now they're also they're also doing Red Bull Mind Gamers, which is uh, developing and creating a lot of games and puzzles that sort of pushes your mind and your brain out of its comfort zone. So you have to actually think and solve stuff. So I think it all started with sort of making chess part of their portfolio and their profile. Um, uh, and and I think we just really connected really well and got along really well. And um, 
nothing really happened for a few months but then i think when they decided that they wanted to get into chess um they took me on and and it was a no brainer for me i mean red bull is such a fantastic company to be associated with and not for i think the biggest reason for me for that is that it's not a typical sponsorship you know it's not about wearing a logo and showing up at an event uh, as a, as a red bull athlete you sort of interact with with the the team at red bull to come up and to sort of mastermind ideas to promote the sport in your country uh, you do cool stuff and cool events with them things that challenge you as well as as well as bring the game to to different parts of uh, to different people and that's what we've done with red bull and there's this uh, there's this program that i really enjoy and that i'm really proud of is the corporate chess program that we've done you know india is big on chess and many and we found out after the first second corporate event that there was this huge correlation between people who are in these big it corporates uh doing really really well and a lot of them have actually played chess to a certain degree in their school and college a lot of them have played tournaments before but they had to give it up for their corporate career but they love the sport they follow it and they play it and and india especially is a very strong chess country so everybody a lot of people are very good chess players here so it was really challenging for me as well especially because they made the simuls clock simuls i'd never done those before uh we really enjoyed them and uh, i think this coming year we're looking at taking that up a notch and doing more exciting stuff with corporates uh we've also taken chess to the taj mahal which was another very exciting event we did we held tweet chess where the most tweeted move got played against me so the idea is to just sort of do really fun stuff and uh, and it's a pretty cool association because it sort of pushes me to think of something with my sport that i that i really enjoy and uh, that i've made a career out of and do do interesting things with it and now they've got um, so i was their first chess athlete that they signed on and they, they of course they've got hikaru now and they've also got sansai abdul malik so they're really getting into the mind uh, the mind sporting area and of course chess um i don't even think it's an argument i think chess is the ultimate uh, mind game Yeah, I, it, it definitely is. I mean, it's it's a sponsorship that makes sense, and and what you describe in terms of uh, the what your responsibilities are, it does sound more fun than just showing up at like you know. It's a lot of fun. Some event, um, and we've had a few other guests from India on the show, Vidit Gujarati and um, Sagar Shah, the the dean of Indian chess, told us a little bit about how. Um, how sponsorships can work in the Indian world in terms of uh being employed by a company but also having support to do uh to pursue chess professionally for for top players like yourself. So for for women in India um is there a similar arrangement? I mean whether it's about your personal uh situation or other strong players um strong women players from India um is there the same level of support? I really think Ben that in India um things are really changing. for women and chess just like they are everywhere in the world and uh, uh the federation the current federation that we have has taken a lot of steps um and a lot of uh, different initiatives to promote women chess uh with the kind of support that they gave to the women team this time playing in the olympiad and for our other team championship and also at the grassroots level they've started this smart girl program which basically encourages a lot of there's a there's a certain amount of funds that have been dedicated to having women tournaments and uh, prize funds for girls and these are things you know one can argue that should there be women titles and should there be women prizes in open events and stuff like that but the fact is that these are things that actually 
um, promote and encourage girls to take up the sport professionally and also encourage their support system, which is families and parents around them, you know, who play an integral role in the developing years to know that chess is a viable career option. It's actually very, very difficult in India to be part of the national team just simply because of the amount of strong players that there are there. But once you do make it to the team, the, the support the support does come in, like you were saying that Vidit and uh, Adiban were mentioning that uh, we've got, you know, the public sector, the government companies like airlines and the oil sector, they employ the top level athletes in every sport, which is why I said that I'll be playing for, uh, I'll be playing for Air India in the national team championship. So I'm actually employed by them, but the employment is a very special employment where you have the benefits and you, you are sort of on the same payroll and the same benefit scale as other employees of that level in your, in your job. But you have, you're given the time to pursue your career professionally. But it's only as long as you're playing for the Indian team or are performing at a at a very good level. So, you know, from that, from that being a good player to making it to that level is where the support is required. And a lot is being done to make sure that happens. And, uh, and things are looking good. Glad to hear it. And of course, with India being such a populous nation you know over a billion people uh, it's got to be extremely competitive as you mentioned to to reach that level so but i'm glad to hear and obviously with the the young talent you mentioned along with sarin just crushing everyone and uh our, the blitz yes yeah and rapid and blitz um it, you know this could be early days so it'll it'll be interesting to see how how things develop over the coming years um so yes. so just one last question for you tanya if you don't mind um so what's your what's your day-to-day life like uh like where in India do you live and what what other interests do you have uh outside of chess? So I live in Delhi, uh, born and brought up in Delhi and um yeah so it's home here. Um I don't I don't get that much time here because I do travel a lot and I'm playing a lot and I'm uh, I'm out a lot. But uh, as far as what other interests I have, uh, besides playing, I do really enjoy the work around chess as well. You know, the things I do with Red Bull, the events that we come up and that we that we take chess to different parts of the country. I really do enjoy um, uh, doing commentary once in a while and uh, um, all uh, the presentation at chess tournaments. Um, the reporting part of it, I think besides chess, it's, you know, the usual stuff. I, I enjoy movies, Bollywood. You, if you're Indian, you've got to love Bollywood. And uh, I, I, I'm a bit of a foodie, so I love going out for food. Um, I do have an interest in fashion as well. I just don't have that much time, but I often think that I'm the sort of person who has so many, so many different goals. But I think chess is such an addiction, you know. I've noticed that when I'm in Delhi, um for a bit too long, I, I really do miss playing and I, I, I kind of want to get back on the road and get back to tournaments. So it's, it's just, it's chess is such a drug like that. So it's kind of hard to find time for other things. Um, the other thing that I'm really passionate about is, um, uh, you know, doing something for, so we have a lot of like, a lot of stray dogs and a lot of stray animals in India. And that's something that I want to get involved with later on in my life where I want to, uh, uh, you know, sort of take care of them. But that's for later. Uh, so, yeah, so a lot of lot of dreams and a lot of goals. And uh, hopefully I'll do all of them. <laughs> yeah, well, you're, you're off to a good start in your life, I would say. So, so Tanya, I thank you for, for joining us. And, um, 
you know, wish you good luck in uh, your upcoming good luck behind the mic uh, in Gibraltar you. and then uh, over the board. Um, if uh, if people were interested in uh, in in contacting you, is, is Twitter the best way to do so? Or is there another way for people to keep up with uh, what you're up to? So I am on Twitter. I'm also on Instagram. Um, I'm also on Facebook, but I think I'm, um, um, I do really enjoy, um, I, I really enjoy talking and corresponding and sort of staying in touch with, uh, with people who love the game and who follow, who follow what I do and who are following everything that's happening in the chess world on Twitter. Yeah. So you can, you can reach out to me on any of these social media platforms and, um, it's, it's fun to do that. Okay, excellent. Well, Tanya, I really appreciate your time and uh, we'll be watching and enjoying the show in Gibraltar. Yeah, I look forward to bringing uh, all of you the action from Gibraltar. It's, it's, such a, it's such a brilliant tournament, lots of exciting chess and uh, uh, I can't wait to be there. Okay, take care, Tanya. Thank you. Thanks, Ben. Thanks to everyone who helps make Perpetual Chess possible. That includes my esteemed producer, Matthew Passy, Geert Vandervelt for supplying the intro music, and Chessable.com for their generous financial support. I also want to thank everyone who helps support the show in little ways. That can be telling a friend about the show, writing something positive about it on social media, or writing a glowing review on Apple Podcasts or another podcast platform. Apparently that stuff really matters. I also want to give special thanks to my PayPal and Patreon perpetual partners. As you guys know, I put a lot of time into this show, a lot of research, promotion, actual booking of interviews, doing the interviews. I love the work, but it wouldn't be possible without the generous financial support of the following people. Adam Ralph of ChessEngland.com, Adam Vrancourge, Adrian Gutierrez, Alex Pejas, Ali Morchetti, Brian Mullis, I am Carlos Pardomo of ChessAtlanta.com, Bill Moran, Chad Hilton, Chad Oliver, Chris Balcom, Chris Flanagan, Chris Wainscott, Christopher Chabri, Christopher Wood, I am Christoph Zalecki, a.k.a. Chess Explained, Coach Jay's Chess Academy, Dan O'Hanlon, Daniel Ginsberg, Daniel Lucas, Daniel Naylor, Daniel Schaefer, Daniel Viney, David Cramley, Dwayne Edmonds, Ethan Smith, I am Alec Donnie Ariel, Frank Tortoris, Gary Andrews, Gary Lewis, Geert Vandervelt, I am Greg Shahadi, Harish Srinivasan, GM Yaka Bagard of Quality Chess Publishing, James Bonastia, Jason Woolham, Jeff Anderson, Jennifer Valens of OffTheRook.com, Jeffrey Martello, John Fernandez, John Hartman, John Jernigan, Jen Shahadi, Jens Green, Jerry Wells, John Thompson, WGM Katerina Nemsova, Kelly Palmer, I am Kostya Kovutsky, Krishna Kabbalakrishnan, Laura Belyavsky, Leo Delgado, Lorraine Dore, Lucia Silva, Matthew Passi, Macaulay Peterson, Martin Habish, Matthew Tedesco of SeattleChessMeetup.org, my main man Moonmaster9000, Nate Solin, Nathan Webster, GM Pascal Charbonneau, Passi Passanin, Paul Sweeney, Paulo Santana, Peter Lux, Peter Merrifield, Randy Temple, Ricky Grijalva, Rob Lazorchak of DiplomatChess.com, Robert Steiner, Ryan Berg, Ryan Sohn, Steiner Lima, Stuart Katz, uh, WGM Tatia Vabrahamian, Thomas Sonix, Thomas Tachenko, Tim Brennan of TacticsTime.com, Tim Seymour, Timothy Ha, Todd Bryant, Tony Rotella, Tyron Price, Victor Vrinkulj, FM Zhao Chang of Chess1000.com, and Jivko Stoyanov. Thanks as always, everyone. I will catch you guys soon.
Sports Social Podcast Network.